Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, I will be joined by Baylor head coach Scott Drew. The Bears are a title contender, one of the top two teams in the country. Uh, Scott Drew coming off of uh, COVID-19 quarantine, doing well. We'll talk to him about all that. Jalen Suggs from the number one ranked Gonzaga Bulldogs, a freshman who had a sensational first week at 24 against Kansas. He will join me as well in advance of that major matchup between Gonzaga and Baylor later in the week in Indianapolis. Also, Jason Preston from Ohio University, 31 in a loss to Illinois, his recruitment. How he got to Ohio is quite a story. He will share that with us. And Chad Acock from Turner Sports will go over my predictions for the week. And Cats ranks this week, the top 10 teams, not top 10 as in one through 10, top 10 teams I thought made their mark in the first week of the college basketball season. All right. So first week of the season, we've had cancellations. We've had postponements. But you know what else we've had? Really good games buzzer beaters, and some significant developments. That's where we get to the power of 36 in the AP poll. Gonzaga looked dominant in their win over Kansas, 102 points. Gave up 90, but 102 points. And then they knocked off Auburn. Baylor couldn't play because of Scott Drew being in quarantine. Scheduled a couple games in Vegas. They blow out Washington. They look every bit the part. The Big Ten, I got three, four, five, six. Iowa, Luca Garza, 33 points average over two games. Michigan State crushed Notre Dame with a 26-0 run over the end of the first half to the second. Illinois, squeaker of Ohio, still love the Illini. Wisconsin looking strong. That's three, four, five, six in my power 36, okay? AP poll had three, four, five, and Michigan State at eight. Deeper down, I still have Rutgers ranked at 17, Indiana at 21, but... As I'm taping this, they destroyed Providence. They'll move up. They're in the Maui Invitational relocated to Asheville. Michigan squeaked by Oakland. I still have them ranked. Don't sleep on Minnesota, Ohio State. The Big Ten is loaded. Loaded. No question about it. All right. Houston, great win over Texas Tech, who it probably should have still had in the power of 36, but it bopped them out. So they were up at 11 for me. West Virginia won the tournament. South Dakota. Virginia got bopped by San Francisco, so good win for the WCC. Ultimately helps Gonzaga. Tennessee and Florida haven't played yet because of COVID. Kentucky loses to Richmond. That's why I've got Richmond all the way at nine. Monster win for Richmond on the road at Rupp. By the way, Richmond's also going to play at West Virginia. 
Hopefully that game happens. That's in December. But Richmond, more experienced right now. And they were the better team on this particular day on Sunday when they knocked off Kentucky. North Carolina getting going. San Diego State won against UCLA. It depleted UCLA, but still the Aztecs deserve all the recognition there. St. Louis. I was shocked St. Louis was not in the AP poll after they beat ASU. Excuse me, after they beat LSU. ASU lost to Villanova, who lost to Virginia Tech. Um, that all happened at the bubble. And, you know, Villanova's going to be fine. They're top 10. Virginia Tech got them in overtime. Great win for them. Build off it. They beat South Florida after. Arizona State, they're going to still be right there with UCLA to win the league in the Pac-12. Let me make a comment about the bubble. So I was there last week. If you're following our coverage, you saw that I was there. I thought they did a phenomenal job. Phenomenal. Testing. Got a test before you get there. 72 hours in. Stephen F. Austin, arrive. You test when you get there, and then you go to your room. You wait for the results. They had a positive of a staff person, so they had to go home. Maine arrived without their test results. They get there. They get the results. They had a positive. They're out. Once everyone was in the bubble, there were no positives, which is great. Now, I say this, and there's still a few more days left as I'm taping this, so hopefully it stays this way. So I got tested a total of five times last week, three times within the bubble, and I was just there five days. So security also making sure the teams are separated from anyone else in the general population that would have been in the vicinity. We were really not a part of anything with the Mohegan Sun, had our own area, a lot of security for the teams, players, staff, anyone who was in the tier one. And I was fortunate to be in the tier one. The two other media members, Matt Norlander from CBS Sports and Jeff Goodman from Stadium, they were there with me at the same time. So when you get off the elevator, there was someone right off the elevator checking who you are, checking your badge, coming in and out of your room. I was actually, I'm going to go way back, dating myself here. Last time I've ever seen anything like that, I actually went on a trip in the late 80s to the Soviet Union while it was still the Soviet Union, okay? And we had something like that, someone on our floor checking us. The only other time, actually, I got two times in my life. That's one, right before I interviewed then-Senator Barack Obama, 2008, right before the election, when I actually asked him to do the bracket, Stayed on the same floor as Obama in a Hampton Inn in North Carolina. And that was the only other time I can remember someone on the floor greeting you as you come off the elevator. I thought they did a phenomenal job keeping everyone safe. And that's why teams stayed. Villanova stayed to play a total of four games. BC left, came back. Florida couldn't get in because they had a positive before. Now coming in. Other teams stayed because, you know, Virginia Tech, San Francisco, it was a safe place to get games. Great idea. I think this execution and the way they did it will be duplicated at some point later this season. All right, that's me talking. Let's get to our guests. And now joining me here in March Madness, Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga, who had quite the opening week down in Florida. 24 points in the win over Kansas and then another outstanding game against Auburn. As the number one team in the country, the Zags, opened up 2-0 down in Florida as they make their way to Indianapolis to take on Baylor later in the week and then West Virginia earlier in the week. Jalen, your first time playing major Division I college basketball came against Kansas. 
How would you assess your performance? Thought, you know, I got out to a decent start. A couple early fouls made me sit down in the first half. But I think I responded well. And the coaches, you know, kept confidence in me and allowed me to play uh, coming into the second half and just got comfortable and started playing basketball. You know, I tried not to overthink the game too much. And at the end of the day, I kept telling myself, you know, it's a basketball game. We played basketball for a long time. Just trying to go out and enjoy it. And uh, that's what I did. And I ended up having a pretty good game. And we got a really good win against a good opponent. Yeah, obviously, we've all talked for quite some time about what the potential of this group is. I know it's very early, but offensively, Gonzaga has always been a really efficient offensive team, but it just seemed like there were almost just riches that you guys had of so many options that you could go to, including yourself. What's it been like here early to have so many different options offensively? It's made things a lot easier for me. I don't have to try to be a superhero every play. Uh, and Coach reminds me of that every day. You know, I got guys who really can play. You go down the line and look at Corey, Drew, who had great first two games, and then Andrew, Joel. And down the line, you know, you can go as far down the roster as you want, and we have players. I mean, all guys that when they're out on the court with me, I feel comfortable giving the ball to and know that they can go uh, make a play happen as well. So it's really just made things really easy. I feel a lot more comfortable than I did now, you know, at the start during fall and during the summer. We've been able to mesh well together. Again, we're on the court, it just feels like we're having fun. And just playing basketball and everybody knows where each other is going to be and where our spots are. And again, this week, we're just clicking on all seven. And look, you mentioned Andrew. We didn't know until a week ago that he was going to be added to the roster. You know, all the anticipation was that he was going to have to sit out this year. What did his addition mean to this backcourt? An extremely solid point guard who's a gifted passer. He can score the ball. It was a bit of a struggle, you know, trying to guard him every day on the scout team. But, man, to have him actually be able to play and get out there and run with us, it's been great. And I think he brings another addition of somebody who can really take care of the ball and take some of the pressure off me as far as bringing the ball up and getting us in the offense and things like that. But he's a weapon. And, again, I think we have a lot of weapons. That makes us on offense especially dangerous. All right, Jalen, I want to go back a little bit here because, really, from everyone I've talked to at Gonzaga, it was probably the three weeks prior to the start of the season where you really started to feel comfortable and blossom. But prior to that for a number of different reasons. I know it was a bit of a struggle to get going, whether it was health or just, you know, obviously all the protocols that are going on, that it just took time. Can you go back a little, a few months of what it was like to finally get to this point where you felt so comfortable? It was a journey. That's definitely the word that I would use to describe it. The journey always has its ups and downs. It was never easy. And coach remind me of that every day that it's not supposed to be easy. And uh, I just really stuck to the process. I went in every day to work and to get better. And, man, they, this coaching staff and the players around me have really helped me grow off the court and on the court as well. You know, I definitely feel more developed. I know that I've learned a lot more about the game and especially our system at Gonzaga. And, again, as those, you know, two or three weeks leading into the game, I started to practice consistently and I got really comfortable. I was starting to know where guys like to get the ball and certain guys' strengths and, as we were leading up to coming down here in Florida, I felt like I was really starting to click and really starting to get comfortable and play like Jalen. You know, when I got here, I was kind of trying to adapt still and learn. And it was hard, harder than I thought it would be. But again, the coaches stuck with me. They kept confidence in me, you know, throughout the whole process. And now to get here and start playing really good basketball and uh, to feel as comfortable as I do, I think a lot of that credit goes to the coaching staff. They've done an amazing job with me so far. What specifically was so difficult for you in terms of that struggle prior to those last couple of weeks before the opener? Just the adjustment. It's different basketball. It's definitely different going from whether you want to say high school or AAU. Pace is different. 
the ball screen coverages, the defense, the attention to detail. It's a lot more different than what I was used to. And uh, coming in, I kind of thought it would be a lot easier than it was, which was a mistake. But again, once I settled down and uh, realized that you know, I'd be okay and that you know, as time came and I practiced more, I would learn and get better, I felt myself blossom and, again, become a better player and become more comfortable in the system uh, to now where you know, I feel like whatever the coaches uh, want to do or want to run on the court, I feel like I can be an extension of them. And, Jalen, look, this was not a normal offseason for anybody, for any of us in the United States around the world. Most high-profile freshmen – you know, they've got an extended spring, they might be all-star games, and then you come in in the summer and everything, you know, sort of goes in that way. I'm just curious, how much did that disrupt sort of your rhythm that you didn't have, like anyone else, a normal sort of March to July? I say it definitely disrupted it. One of the biggest pieces that I was trying to fix when I got here was uh, my conditioning because it was hard at home, you know, having to quarantine and stuff. And not really be able to go out and do much compared to when it's regular and there's no uh, coronavirus. And you can just go out and run and go to gyms uh, and things like that. So that's one thing that was, I'd say, especially hard, but also just playing basketball. I hadn't really got to play basketball since like March of this year. And just that time period being off, I felt myself, you know, get a little rusty, you know. And once I got back in tune of the game and got back to playing every day, I started to feel like my old self and like I was just playing basketball again. Hey, one last thing that uh, I know you and other players like yourself had other opportunities. And like I said, this was not a normal offseason, but you could have taken the money to go to the G League and done that path. And I know it's early, but so far everything looks great with the number one team in the country. Why do you think it was the right decision for you to stay with your commitment and go to Gonzaga and play college basketball? I think this is one of the best decisions uh, that I've ever made coming here with Coach Field and the rest of the staff. And they truly treat me like family, you know, not, not like a player. And that was huge for me because I didn't feel like I really get that uh, in any of the other routes I was going. But coming here, the players embraced me, the coaches embraced me. And uh, the moment I knew I made the right decision was this summer. And we were all kind of hanging out. The guys knew I missed football. And they all hit me up and we went to the field. And we all just threw the football around, played seven on seven. And it was a great time. And everyone enjoyed it. And after that night, I went home. And uh, I was just talking to my parents and just thinking, like, I'm so glad I made this decision. And I've learned so much through this process. And again, like I said, they made me a better player, a better person off the court. And I've just grown so much. And Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really glad that this is the route that I decided to take. And it's only going to get better this season, fingers crossed, yes, sir. that we keep playing games. Appreciate it, Jalen. Thank you. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, it's time for Cats Ranks for the first full week of the college basketball season. Top 10 teams that made their mark in the first week of the season. Start at number 10. San Francisco, the Dons scheduled Virginia within a couple of days at the Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut. They replaced Florida, supposed to be Florida playing Virginia. And San Francisco knocked off Virginia. They held Virginia to only three threes after Virginia had made 15 in the previous game against Towson. In fact, San Francisco made as many threes, 13, as Virginia attempted. A massive win for Todd Golden and the Dons. At number nine, Western Kentucky. They go up to South Dakota and they knock off Memphis and really pushed West Virginia, sending a strong signal that the Hilltoppers are gonna be a major factor, I think at some point later this season. 
At number eight, Clemson out of the ACC. I was trying to figure out where the Tigers were going to be. And even though they didn't knock off a top 25 team, their win over Purdue down in Florida was impressive. Amir Sims looked like an all-ACC player. And Clemson served notice that they're going to be hanging around in the ACC. At number seven, San Diego State took down UCLA at home. Now, I know UCLA was down a couple players, but the Aztecs showed that they are still the team to beat in the Mountain West Conference. At number six, Virginia Tech. They picked up a game against Villanova over a 24-hour period, and they made the most of it. The Hokies knocked off Villanova in overtime at the Mohegan Sun. And who knows, after last season, they beat Michigan State, weren't able to turn that into a potential tournament berth. I know there was no tournament, but they wouldn't have made it. We'll see if this time they certainly can do that. And they backed it up with a win over South Florida, so there was no hangover effect. At number five, St. Louis, predicted to be one of the best teams in the A-10, and they beat LSU. Strong statement from the Billikens. At number four, Richmond, a breakthrough win at Kentucky. The more experienced Spiders taking out perceived more talented Kentucky Wildcats. Big win for the Spiders, favored to win the A-10. At number three, Houston, the favorite in the American, they looked every bit of that in their win over Texas Tech in Fort Worth. At number two, Baylor. Couldn't play the first week, or the first part of the week, I should say. Picked up a couple of games in Las Vegas over the weekend, knocking off Louisiana and absolutely destroying Washington. So the Bears looking every bit as a top two team. And the number one team that made a statement, Gonzaga. They lived up to their billing. Number one team in the country, beat Kansas, beat Auburn. They took care of business down in Florida, and they certainly made a statement that the Zags are the team to beat. And now joining me here in March Madness, Baylor head coach Scott Drew. And Scott, I missed you last week at the Mohegan Sun inside Bubbleville, which I will tell you, they did a great job. We were tested multiple times. I went five for five in testing, by the way, which is a really good percentage. <laughs> so good percentage. Security on every floor. You get off the elevator. They check you. Who are you? Even coming out of your room, who are you? So a lot of testing, security. We were definitely in certain parts, controlled environment, felt very safe. I thought they did a great job. I'm sorry you could not come, but most importantly, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Thank you very much for asking, and I enjoyed watching you. You did a great job. It's awesome seeing college basketball, and I tell you, the uh, tournament sites, I think, have done a great job with uh, the testing procedures, keeping everybody safe, and uh, I know we were very pleased with uh, how things were handled in, in Las Vegas and really excited our guys were finally able to get some games under their belt as well. So tell me how this happened, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't don't think you had symptoms and you were the only one your players obviously weren't yeah. affected because they were able to play so how did it happen for you well, we've been really blessed. Uh, our players and staff have done a tremendous job. The uh, athletic administration have put us in a great position to be successful. And um, we've gone over 12, 13 weeks without a positive test. And then I think all parents can relate with uh, kids in school. Sometimes uh, that makes it tough for us to avoid. And uh, my little one's on a third grade team. My other one's on a seventh grade basketball team. And uh, a couple people had it at school. And that's how I got it. At the same time, because we're testing, 
thing like we are. We caught it early. I was the only one to, to get it on the team. No symptoms for me, really, and uh, uh, none for my kids. So we were all uh, quarantining together, all watching you together, watching the Bears together. But bless that symptoms weren't bad or didn't exist at all for uh, the kids and excited for now being able to return to the team. So your entire family had to quarantine in the house? Yes. So I was back to being the PE coach and uh, breaking up uh, video game fights and everything else that goes on to uh, parenting during COVID. So the decision, though, when you guys had to pull out, and obviously, look, everyone's got a different deal. So I don't need to get into the weeds of who wanted you to come, who didn't want you to come. It happened. That's fine. But you still had to find games. How were you able to pull that off once Mohegan's son went off and you were able to find these games over the weekend in Las Vegas with Louisiana and then Washington. Probably one of the most difficult things uh, I've ever had to do. <laughs> uh, our staff was tremendous in helping, but uh, literally you're calling 353 schools or anyone that might need games and then trying to find out what information's accurate. Like, uh, are you able to play? Or are you still in quarantine? Are you looking for a game? Can you travel? At one point, I thought we were going to Nebraska. I thought we were going to Dallas. I thought we were going to San Diego. Um, thought we might be going to uh, Washington or Oregon. Oregon uh, might be going to uh, Florida. So we were all over the map, excited that we got uh, two games in. Team looked great. And I know they're really excited to play. And that was the most important thing. But uh, I can tell you right now, uh, scheduling is uh, like uh, it's never been, obviously, and very stressful for uh, everyone involved because uh, you really want your uh, guys to be able to play games because you know how excited they are to have that opportunity right now. So I'm just curious from your vantage point, what was that like for you where you were the only one, not your own fault. It wasn't your team. Uh, you're the head coach. And some schools, I'm sure, were treating you and the team a bit like a leper, you know, like you had a scarlet letter, like we can't touch Baylor. Even though Scott Drew has it, the players don't, we're not playing them. Uh-uh. I think you did have some of that. So yeah. what was that like? It's definitely uh, tough. And that's why, uh, just to be honest, I felt terrible because our guys weren't playing because I had COVID. So uh, I was trying to do everything I could to try to uh, help them get games because our medical people, I knew uh, our procedures and I knew what measures we had taken and hence all the uh, negative uh, PCR tests we've had since then indicate that we were accurate in what we've done and how we've done things. And as a staff, why we've been so diligent was because if one of us got COVID, we didn't want it to take our team out. And uh, hence we'll keep doing what we're doing. The good thing is when you get into conference play, all the conferences have similar uh, medical stances. So I think non-conference becomes a little more tricky for everybody. At the same time, everybody's trying to uh, stay positive and test negative, as several people say out there. <laughs> so during practice and either meetings, like how were you interacting to make sure that there was distance and you being positive wouldn't take everyone else down? First and uh, foremost, I mean, we haven't been in the uh, locker room, the film room, the team room, everything that we do is in big spaces. The coaches were always masked up. We're always staying separated. Um, we know if one of us gets it, uh, we don't want it to affect any other coaches or any of the players. So uh, again, I think all the precautions that our medical people have told us to do and adhere to have helped and definitely allowed everyone else to be healthy. But 
let me, which is which is great. And then uh, with modern technology, we can do a lot as far as Zoom, as we've learned, and uh, being able to uh, still be involved and help out in some capacity. And I thought uh, that was one thing I really want to do with our staff. I said at some point, probably uh, one or two of the other coaches might be in this situation. And how can we stay involved? How can we help? How can we bring value to the team? And obviously, uh, I'm very blessed to have a veteran staff. Coach Tang's been with me for 18 years, and uh, he did a tremendous job with the team and total confidence in him and the staff and the players. But at the same time, when you don't have symptoms and you want to help, uh, you're trying everything you can to be involved with it. You know, I want to get back to Jerome Tang in one second, but, you know, we had a, a Zoom call with you and Bryce and your dad, Homer, earlier during in the pandemic. And this is exactly what you told me about why you were worried, basically, to be with your parents because they're both compromised and cancer survivors. And, you know, I'm curious if that entered your mind about thinking about you know, making sure that, you know, obviously you weren't near them. Most definitely. And that's where I know uh, the good thing for me now is uh, I've had COVID. I'm good for a while, so I can go visit my parents finally. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. But again, I think the virus affects everybody different. And I would never have gotten tested if uh, or known I had it if I wasn't being tested. Neither would my kids. So that's why uh, it's important to be diligent and protect those that need to be protected. So you mentioned Jerome Tang. Been with you for the entire time you've been at Baylor, and obviously a great opportunity for him. You guys win these games. What has he meant to you as an assistant, as sort of, you know, your right arm as you've led this program? Well, first and foremost, the way we do things, it's a we, and uh, everybody contributes to thoughts as far as offense, defense, substitution. So really, when one of us is gone, we don't miss a beat because it's a team thing. And uh, Coach Tang is brick by brick to help put this program together, just like everyone that we've had on the staff. And uh, as a head coach, it's great when other people get recognized for their accomplishments and seeing just how the national media and people have responded to Coach Tang and uh, him doing the job that he's done, but also recognizing uh, his loyalty and just uh, the time he's put in to help build this program is awesome for him and Baylor basketball. Well, as you said, it was an impressive weekend in Las Vegas. Mark Vitale obviously had a great weekend as well. This week, coming up in Indy, two games, Illinois and Gonzaga. What's your assessment? Well, it's great for college basketball, um, two outstanding opponents for us and teams that uh, if we want to have the kind of year we want to have, these are the teams you have to you have to beat and these are the teams you face in the NCAA tournament. So we'll learn a lot about our team and what areas we need to improve and get better on uh, moving forward. And uh, at the end of the day, I know players love playing in games like this. Coaches love coaching in games like this. I'm back. I'm excited that I'm going to be able to be there and help out. And uh, again, it's going to be a, a great week in uh, Indianapolis. One last thing, Scott, you know, the, the game on the weekend with Mark, um, this is a great example of good relationships where games are just like being scheduled on the fly here. And that was one that the two of you really wanted to make happen. Uh, at one point, it could have been in Florida, now Indianapolis, just any kind of anecdote about how just that all came to be. Well, uh, Coach Few and I have the same uh, scheduling philosophy, and that is uh, we know that our players want to play uh, great games and in big environments, and uh, it's really good for college basketball. And after missing March Madness, uh, we thought, hey, uh, we knew both of us were going to be ranked high in the uh, preseason polls. Why don't we uh, um, give this opportunity to our players and then also for all the college basketball fans? So, again, I know uh, I've always appreciated uh, Coach Few's friendship, and uh, when you get two guys that like to schedule like these, are the games that happen. Well, Scott, thrilled that you're feeling good. Same with your family, your kids, and, and your wife, and everyone. And we're just so happy you're going to be back on the court with the Baylor Bears. 
Well, thank you very much. It's been great watching you and love having college basketball back. And now joining me here are March Madness, March Madness 365, Jason Preston from Ohio. He had 31 points in a two-point loss at Illinois. Uh, the Bobcats were right there to win this game, and just in the final couple of seconds, Iodosuma hits two free throws, and the Illini win this game. But the bigger story was this man right here, 31 points. But his story, and Kevin Kugler, a colleague of mine from the Big Ten Network and Fox Sports, did a great job telling this story. But you know what? I said, as good as Kevin is, I have to hear the story from Jason himself. So let's go back to how you got to this point in Orlando. Going to go to UCF as a regular student. Yes. What happens? Well, I was in classes for UCF as a regular student. And then one of my friends, he needed players for an AAU tournament. And it was, uh, including me, it would have been five players. So we were all playing like 40 minutes a game. So I said, I'll play with him and. Things went well. I played pretty well. I got some interest from UNC Asheville, and they were full on scholarships for that year. So the coach actually recommended prep school to me. The next game I played, I talked to a prep school coach, and he convinced me to go to prep school. I was going to go to his prep school in Florida, and he ended up getting a, a better job, I guess, in Tennessee, at Believe Prep Academy. So then I, I followed him there. I ended up going there. He actually ends up leaving after about two weeks. So I'm there, and uh, the other coaches, I guess, don't really uh, know too much about me. So I was so You're on, in Tennessee at this point? Yes, yes. Okay. And this is a post-grad year? Yes. All right. I was on the A team to start, but, like, since no one really knew about me, I wasn't really playing that much. And so the two people I was living with, like my, my, my roommates, per se, I really wanted to play with them, you know, have more of an opportunity to showcase my game because I really thought that was, the, I guess, the purpose of prep school. And I didn't really get any uh, a chance like that in high school. So I asked if I could play on the C team with them, play with them. Things went really well, uh, played really well. And then uh, the other coaches, I guess, started to take notice. I ended up going back up to the A team. Then I started... Uh, played pretty well. Actually, I forgot to say, while I was on the C team, one of our road trips back, it was like an eight-hour road trip. So I asked all the coaches for like all the film of the game because I knew if I wanted to go play college, that I would need to have some sort of film. So I screen recorded uh, all the plays myself from all the games that we had. This is, so, on, this is on the bus or in the shuttle? Yeah. yeah okay. All the bus back to Tennessee. Uh, screen recorded all the clips, sent it to my friend. He, like, put it all together and made a mix for me. Then the Believe Academy Twitter page posted it, um, got DMs from Ohio and Longwood, and then uh, they both eventually offered. So at what point did you decide, you know what, I got to start taking ownership of my own recruitment and make this happen for myself? It was about... February, I believe, and, like, I hadn't really got much interest. And, like I said, I didn't have any film myself from high school or uh, any of the AAU tournaments that I was uh, playing in. So I knew if, if I wanted to, to to have anything, I'd have to show coaches something when they uh, asked me. And so you have a friend that's obviously savvy in editing and, and putting together something like this in a mixtape. And I think, obviously, in this generation, that's a good skill set if you can put something like that together. So 
when you got the reception, like, how, was it was there a link sent to Ohio and Longwood, or they just reacted to the link they saw? Yeah, they must have seen it on Twitter. The assistant coaches from both schools DM'd me. And so I guess they saw it on their timeline. And what, what did the DM say? Both were kind of like, uh, hey, Jason, I like your game. I uh, would really like to get on a phone call with you and talk things about our school. So when you're starting to get some reaction to this, you know, obviously you're thinking, okay, this actually worked. How did you go about in that next phase of the recruitment to say, you know what, this is this is the real me. This was not like, you know, just sort of edited together to make me look better than maybe I am. So I, I then got on phone calls with uh, each of the head coaches, and then I ended up taking a visit to both schools. And I didn't get to, like, play at all or anything, but uh, it seemed like they were pretty uh, sold from the film that they saw. And then they, I took about two weeks, and I came to a decision. Now, there's been a coaching change since that happened at Ohio. The previous staff, by the way, was Saul Phillips and his staff before Jeff Bowles. Talk me through how that affected you. Yeah, there was a coaching change. I knew I, I really wanted to stay here, though. I, I like it here. I heard a lot of great things about Bowles, and most of the guys were leaving. It was really uh, me, Ben Vanderplas, and Connor Murrow were really the only players that had stayed. So I knew this was uh, primed to be a, a pretty big year for me. I had to make a, a, a next step, and I was excited for it. It's something that I always wanted to show. So the moral here in this era, and I'm going to say in a pre-pandemic era, I mean, this year's recruiting is going to be completely different, so we can't even compare what this class is going to have to go through. But what would be your your lesson here to other recruits that are not mainstream, that are not getting seen on the circuit? And I say that because I don't, you know, none of us know what that circuit's going to look like after the pandemic. But, you know, at least to this point, what would be your message? Always believe in yourself. Uh, don't let anyone say you can and cannot do anything. Have faith in yourself and and secondly, if you're ever given an opportunity or a chance, make sure you make the most of it. If you're given an opportunity and you have no one to blame but yourself, put it in your hands. You know, the other thing, too, that I think that you said that I really picked up on and helped me make sure I heard you correctly, there was a point where you're not getting any run on the A team. So you want to go down to the C team, which I know in prep schools, I mean, for example, my son, you know, they call it thirds. I know they have different names around the country depending on where you are and what part of the country, just to get run, to get an opportunity. Is that essentially what happened that, you know, varsity versus, you know, ABC, however you want to define it, versus an opportunity to just get a chance to get out there and actually play? Oh, uh, yeah, that was really exactly what it was. Because in high school, you know, I, I, I hardly played. I never started a game. AAU was really the first time I really got to play a lot and do things that I, that I wanted to do. And it was fun. And, you know, that's really was the reason I went to prep school is to showcase some of the things I couldn't do in high school. So I just wanted to give myself that chance. So since then, I mean, we're talking about now three years ago. Is that right? Three or four years ago? Three years ago? Three years ago. In what way have you changed, maybe even physically, height or strength, and also your game? Uh, when I came here, first stepped on campus, I was 6'2", 161. Now I'm about 6'4", 185. The summer from my freshman year to sophomore year, I'd gained 20 pounds, and I think I grew an inch as well. On the court, definitely 
was trying to improve on my jump shot. Uh, got a lot of reps up last summer and this summer, and cutting down on my turnovers is something I also am looking to improve on. So I'm just curious. I mean, obviously, you can't fault UCF at the time. You just weren't that player then. Have you heard from anyone along your path that said, you know what, oh, I wish we would have taken that chance on him three years ago, even though I know you weren't the same individual then as you are now? Uh, One time, at the end of prep school, we were doing open gyms, and Wichita State was there, and my friend Dexter Dennis, who's at Wichita State, oh, yeah. Greg Marshall was there to watch him. And I don't think on that day I played particularly well, but I have heard, uh, and, I, and they offered Dexter, and I didn't, and I didn't get an offer. But I think I, I heard something that he, he wishes he could have taken it back. I mean, it's easy to say that in hindsight. All right, so this season, be remiss if I didn't say this, you guys were right there to clip Illinois. Didn't get there. I know it's going to be a crazy season. We hope it gets played to its fullest. What do you think is the ceiling for this Ohio team, especially when we get in the MAC? Um, I really don't think there is a ceiling. I think we proved that we can hang with with anyone in the country, and it's really just about consistency. You know, it wasn't just me. Like I'm getting a lot of credit, but it really wasn't me. It was guys like DJ boxing out, Kofi Cockburn, uh, every possession, Ben Vanderplas, uh, huge on both ends, Lenny McDay taking the defensive assignment, uh, Ben Roger hitting threes. Uh, it's really just a confidence thing with these guys and maintaining consistency. Well, Jason, I appreciate you sharing your story, and I think it's um, you know something that a lot of players that are coming up behind you certainly can follow, that uh, there's a dream out there to certainly chase and to not give up, and also make sure you have friends that know how to edit and then can put together tapes <laughs> or links uh, and, and help you out on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram. Appreciate it, Jason. Best of luck to you this season. Hope to catch up again. No, thank you. And now it's time for March Chadness with Chad Acock from Turner Sports. And uh, Chad, uh, we are now in a full week of college basketball. The week started off uh, with the Maui Invitational relocated to Asheville, uh, North Carolina. And I, I don't have any sympathy for people to think you should be in Maui because a few years ago, I thought I was going to be in St. Thomas and I ended up being in Lynchburg, Virginia. So tournaments get relocated. No small violin here. Uh, the bubble continues this week in the Mohegan Sun. But there are also some pretty big marquee events that are all still scheduled as we're taping. So uh, fire away. That's right. Uh, let's start off with the first day of December. We're going to start with the Champions Classic. Uh, the first matchup is Michigan State and Duke. And these are normally, you know, Michigan State, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas. Like these are all usually at one centralized location. This year, uh, Michigan State is playing at Duke and Duke will return the favor in a later year, uh, but no fans. And so, in, you know, Michigan State, they lost Cassius Winston, but they looked pretty good against Notre Dame. They had 26 assists on 30 field goals with just 12 turnovers. Uh, meanwhile, for Duke, Jalen Johnson looked terrific in his debut, 19 points, 19 rebounds, five assists, four blocks. So, Andy, what are you looking for in this matchup, and how much of an impact will it be for Duke not having the Cameron Crazies? I think it's going to be huge. Uh, Duke, you know, played, I think, Coppin State over the weekend. Not the same atmosphere, obviously. I like Michigan State here, Chad. They're just playing better earlier in the season having the experience at every position except the point, but they were able to survive the first couple of games, uh, rotating players in there. Foster Lawyer in their opener, I think he had 20 
Obviously, Joey Hauser's making an impact. Joshua Langford back is huge for them. Defensively, though, they had that 26-0 run against Notre Dame at the end of the first half into the second. Even though it's at Duke, but there's no fans, I like Michigan State going in and winning in Cameron. Oh, big road win. Now, let me ask you this. If Duke did have fans, let's say it's a normal season, would you have picked Duke here or are you that high on Michigan State? I probably would still pick Duke. It's so difficult to win at Duke. I know Stephen F. Austin did it, but it's almost incredibly difficult to do it. They almost never lose non-conference games outside of that one last year. So I would have gone with Duke. Look, you and I were both at Duke-Michigan State last season when we thought Michigan State should have won at home, and they weren't able to. Yeah, no, I agree. I like the experience factor. I like the no fans aspect uh, that really helps Michigan State out there. But the second matchup we've got is actually going to be an Indy. It's not going to be at a home court. It will be number 20, Kentucky, and number seven, Kansas. Um, This is a matchup where both teams have already kind of suffered a loss that maybe you didn't expect on the Kentucky side, but you did for Kansas. Uh, You know, KU got blitzed by Gonzaga. But the bright side of that is the Jayhawks still managed to put up 90 points in that game. Uh, And Kentucky, they really kind of struggled all around. You know, the offense didn't look overly great. Um, But Richmond's a really good team, so don't get us wrong there. Um, But which team do you think will have the edge when they they, uh, take the floor Tuesday night? I'm going to go with Kansas. I mean, defensively, obviously, they went against what probably will end up being the best offense in the country in Gonzaga. They gave up 102, but as you said, they scored 90. And while Richmond's D was pretty good, Kentucky didn't make a three-pointer. And so I'm going to go with the Jayhawks in this game because offensively, I just think they're further along than Kentucky. And having Marcus Garrett as the top defender on Kansas, I think that'll be even more difficult for Kentucky to get off in the three-point line. So I'm going with the Jayhawks in Indy. Yeah, I agree. It's one of those things where Gonzaga is just that good that I don't you don't want to penalize KU for that loss. And they still kept it, you know, a respective game. I mean, it was always a six to ten point game. So yeah, I like Kansas too. Let's look at Wednesday, another event. You've got the Jimmy V Classic, West Virginia and Gonzaga. And to start the year, we thought this was going to be Tennessee and Gonzaga, but they replaced them with number 11, West Virginia. And I think that you know, that's really what we could see moving forward here in scheduling, especially in December, if issues come up with COVID or anything happens. Like There are a lot of teams out here that are willing to play anybody anywhere just to get the games in, kind of like we saw with Virginia Tech Nova. Yeah, and Virginia San Francisco. I'll just say this, that there's no question that, and that'll continue, as you mentioned, until we get into conference play, but... This is actually a more difficult matchup for Gonzaga than Tennessee. You know, the size of West Virginia with Oscar Shebe and Derek Culver, they can match Gonzaga inside with their trio of bigs. So now it comes down to the backcourt, and Deuce McBride's going to need help. I like the addition of Andrew Nemhart here making a big difference. He just got eligible right before the Kansas-Auburn game. Now he's had a few more days to prep and be integrated into the system. And I think he could end up being a difference here because I just think they have one too many guards with Gonzaga, with him, Suggs, and Ayayi against West Virginia. But I I actually anticipate, Chad, this being a really a slugfest and a very difficult game for Gonzaga to close out, more so than even playing Kansas, same league. And it's funny, I mean, Gonzaga's going to end up playing three Big 12 teams in their first four games um, because they've got Baylor on the weekend. I think this is going to be very difficult for them, but I'm going to go with Gonzaga. Okay. The second matchup 
is arguably even better. You've got number five, Illinois, and number two, Baylor, also in the Jimmy V Classic. So this is two top five matchups for Baylor this week. They end up playing, you know, number one Gonzaga this Saturday that we'll talk about in a little bit. Baylor had scheduling issues early on, but then, you know, they got that figured out and they looked pretty dominant against Louisiana and, and Washington. Illinois also started the year pretty dominant against NCA and T in Chicago State. They won those games by an average of, uh, you know, about 60 points. But then, you know, their third game in three days, they ended up, you know, having to really squeak one out against Ohio. This one, this is an absolutely loaded matchup. Andy, who you got? Another tough one. You know how high I am on Illinois. But I have some concerns after Ohio really pushed them to the brink. And Baylor was just so dominant against a rebuilding Washington. That's fine. But I'm going to go with Baylor. I just think that their athleticism, especially defensively on the perimeter, could be a problem. they got a lot of length that could be a problem for the Illinois guards. This is the kind of matchup, though, Chad, we could see again in Indiana in four months' time in March or early April. Yeah. So these are two teams I think have a great shot to get to the Final Four, but I think Baylor wins this one on a neutral court. Yeah, no doubt. It feels weird to call these warm-up games considering they're both top 25, even a top five matchup. But both Baylor and Gonzaga will be tested before they play each other on Saturday. And this is a game where we've kind of talked about the strength. Uh, Gonzaga really loaded offensively. Baylor really known for their defense. Who wins this heavyweight matchup and which kind of advantage do you think would hold on here? You know, once again, a potential final, final national championship matchup preview I like Gonzaga late, but I could easily see Baylor winning by five, let's say, hypothetically, if the Zags can't close out the way. They've had some issues sometimes in the last couple of years where some games might get away from them in this kind of situation. But I do feel confident that a player like Corey Kispert, who's not just the glue guy, but he's an anchor, but he does a little bit of everything. This feels like a Corey Kispert game where he comes through with a significant play in some form. Maybe it's not a bucket. Maybe it's a steal. Maybe it's drawing a foul. Something late to push Gonzaga over the top. And Drew Timmy, by the way, has been sensational in the first week of the season. You know, he's been their best scorer. And I think he'll be a tough matchup for Baylor as well. Yeah, that game is absolutely appointment television. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Now we've got number 12 Villanova at number 17, Texas, as part of the Big East Big 12 uh, battle. Texas will be coming off the Maui Invitational, but they won't have that kind of travel fatigue since that's in Asheville. Um, Villanova coming off those games in the Mohican Sun. Andy, who do you like to win this one? I'm going to go with Villanova. I mean, I know they looked a little shaky in their overtime loss to Virginia Tech, but I just feel like the experience, they will have already been on the road, and I know Texas will as well, but Villanova will have been on the road for quite some time. And I just feel like, I mean, A, they're the better team, but I also just feel like ultimately they will handle this. Jeremiah Robinson Earl looked like a first-team All-American in their win over Arizona State. Justin Moore is coming into his own. Colin Gillespie is a total MVP in the way he plays. I think Villanova goes into Texas and wins this game. Well, big, big pick there. I kind of like Texas to win that one. I think Texas has a couple of guys, Greg Brown, Jericho Sims, they could throw at Jeremiah Robinson Earl and try to slow him down. Um, I think that'll be key. Uh, to Texas winning that game. 
But let's look at a rivalry matchup. You've got Xavier and Cincinnati. For me, I mean, I think this is a top three rivalry behind Duke, UNC, and Louisville, Kentucky. I mean, these teams absolutely hate each other. But what, what's interesting about this is Cincinnati will not have played as many games. You know, I think this is their second game of the season, and Xavier will have played, what, six games, I think, by the time these teams play. But, Andy, who do you like to win this big matchup? Well, that's why I'm going to lean Xavier. They struggled a little, I think it was against Toledo over the weekend. But for the most part, they're getting pretty good balance scoring. And, you know, Cincinnati's not been tested yet. And so I think Xavier could go in and surprise. I think Cincinnati came in with more hype for this season, a little bit more than Xavier. But I like Xavier in this one. You know, it's a great rivalry, as you said, going back to the brawl even before that. But uh, I definitely think that this is one of the unheralded rivalries that I think should get more attention. Yeah, no doubt. And I'll give you a little bonus game here. Friday night, number four, Wisconsin at Marquette. Marquette, obviously, no Marcus Howard anymore, but they, you know, good start to the season. Andy, any chance we got an upset here for Marquette uh, at home or no? Definite upset, but this is a great game, an example of what you were talking about earlier. No fans at the Pfizer Forum is significant because they have such an advantage with that crowd at Marquette. So I'm going with Wisconsin. They're the more experienced team. They've dealt with more adversity. They can handle anything. Dawson Garcia is a great freshman for Marquette. Big East freshman of the week in his first week. Uh, but I just think there's too many weapons. And Wisconsin now is playing like they did at the end of the season. Last season, at the beginning of the season, they really struggled from the perimeter. That's not the case now. I think the Badgers beat their rival Marquette. Yeah, I like that pick. Uh, this week feels like it could be it. one of our best weeks of the season with just top 25 matchups all the way across the board. But we will revisit these picks next week, and uh, we'll see how you do moving forward. And as always, everyone can check out all our coverage at all our March Madness social media accounts on NCAA.com. Chad, you are leading that coverage, and we appreciate everyone's engagement. Thanks for these picks, and uh, we'll see how we do next week. No doubt. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, a big shout-out and thank you to our Turner Sports team, Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, and Sean Bartley, and the entire NCAA.com team does a great job repurposing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Stay safe, everyone.